Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And friends, I am really excited for today. For today, we are talking about the continuing story of Darth Maul and Sauvage Opress in some of the best episodes of Clone Wars, Season 5, Episodes 14, 15, and 16. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm joined, as always, for Clone Wars discussions by Sarah and Riki. How are you folks doing tonight? Hello. We are doing well. She doesn't want me to sing along to the intro <laughs> Star Wars-esque music. <laughs> See, I actually listen to this podcast. So I know that there there's fake music there that's, like, cop- <laughs> not copyright, but adjacent. Well, it actually does not. Uh, I, I haven't given him credit in a while, but our music is written by a great man named Jack Hess. Uh, his credits are on oh, our webpage. Um, yeah, yeah. Jack is a, a a magic judge. That's how I. He's actually the person who got me into magic judging. So he's the reason why I got to know you all. Oh, thanks, so, Jack. Fun, fun connection. Yeah, he does uh, awesome music writing in his yeah. spare time. Definitely I, check it out. I listened to our very first episode, and mm-hmm. then I haven't listened to any of this because I just can't. I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Please don't write in emails about how you can't stand the sound of my voice either. Thank you. I understand. I understand. Uh, I, I have listened to my own voice and your voice and Ricky's voice and all my other guests' voice many, many times by now. And um, you just kind of eventually start tuning all of it out when you're editing it all. But That's fair. Uh, our listeners don't want to hear about all the making of the sausage. They want to hear about these episodes. Uh, I'm going to give some plot summaries in a bit, but let me just start by kind of your general feeling. You all are as excited about these episodes to talk about as I am, right? I mean, I'm excited. I don't know if I'm as excited as you are. <laughs> you seem very excited. These are the, this is the best arc in, in the entire series. Ooh, big words. Yeah. So let me give a quick plot summary for those of you who haven't seen it or just um, haven't seen it in a while. Um, it's three episodes, but it's one story, so we're going to talk about it as one story. And it starts with uh, Darth Maul and Savage Opress, his brother, form an alliance with a Mandalorian terrorist group, Death Watch, uh, led by uh, Pre Vizsla of the Vizsla clan. <laughs> And they basically make a plan to help get uh, the Vizslas and Death Watch back in power over Mandalore by kind of, you know, destabilizing it so that Death Watch can ride to the rescue. And to do that, they build alliances with several of the crime syndicates, including the Black Sun, the Pike Syndicate, and the Hut Cartel. Um, and in order to take over Mandalore, but it's also very clear that the one thing that Maul, Opress, and Pre Vizsla all have in common is they all hate Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Um, so the Alliance gets built and the crime people start attacking the city and attacking Mandalore, which makes the existing government look weak. And so it allows Pre Vizsla to come along and say, look how weak she is. She can't stop this crime. Only I can stop the crime. And, um, he's successful in that. He kind of takes over. He imprisons, he imprisons the Duchess, but all along, both Maul and Vizsla have been planning to betray each other. Vizsla does the first betraying, arrests Maul, uh, but then Maul realizes, after a press helps him get out of jail, that according to Mandalorian law, if anyone challenges Pre Vizsla to a duel, the winner of that duel will rule Death Watch and thus rule Mandalore. Uh, Maul does this, and no surprise, the Force user defeats the non-Force user, even though they have an epic lightsaber battle, because Vizsla at this point has the dark saber, and Maul wins and takes control of Death Watch and thus of Mandalore. And now the Black Saber. Uh, so in the third episode, we uh, get Obi-Wan to come to Mandalore with news of Satine's capture. Um, 
you know, the Jedi have a scene where, of course, they can't in- intervene because Mandalore is neutral. And there's kind of this, you know, oh, if only Satine had not been neutral, but now he can't. But, of course, Obi-Wan being Obi-Wan, and he certainly is not in love with Satine because that's <laughs> not what a Jedi would do. He just rushes to her side whenever she's in trouble. Um, infiltrates Mandalore, but ends up captured herself. Um, Maul winds up murdering Satine in front of Obi-Wan, uh, in a kind of beautiful, I mean, like, not horrible, but like, in terms of the manipulation level, like, clearly trying to push Obi-Wan into, into rage, into vengeance, into the dark side. But Obi-Wan is rescued by Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan has been on the side of Previsla this whole time but was horrified when Maul killed him and did not want to go along with Maul. So she's now trying to help Satine again, or, or help Obi-Wan. It is revealed that Bo-Katan was Satine's sister. Very important detail there. Uh, and then her Death Watch faction, there's a civil war against Maul. Uh, all of this captures the attention of Darth Sidious, meanwhile, uh, Maul's former master, who's like, no, all this kind of happening in, this, in, this, in the, the dark side of the Force, we're not going to have this. So, in the Mandalorian throne room, Sidious kills a press, takes Maul prisoner, uh, hinting that he has something in mind for him. And uh, I, I, be- I, I believe it ends with uh, Obi-Wan is definitely freed, and him and Bo-Katan are able to... I, I think we end with it with them back in control of Mandalore, but that part I was not entirely clear on. No, it ends... Obi-Wan leaves, and Mandalore is in a state of civil war. But... Right. So... Pre Vizsla and uh, Maul have only been sort of like shadow leaders. The former prime minister was reinstated as the quote unquote official right. leader of Mandalore. Alnek. Alnek, yeah. All, right. Who you may remember him from a couple seasons ago. He was the one who was involved with selling poison to children. Yeah, selling poison to children, the black market to try and keep the economy going. He tried to justify it to himself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, so so what do you like so much about these episodes? Obi-Wan in love. <laughs> I mean. uh-huh. they're, I think they're just like really tight episodes. Um, we even commented like there's some really great action scenes. And normally like we're not at least. Yeah, we're, we're not super into like the, the pew pew mm-hmm. fighty scenes. But these but were like. You're into the. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm not into the. But this was like. It was really well done and um, really, like, heightened the tension, I think. Uh, Especially the last battle where Sidious comes in dual weeds and just dual, dual weeds, dual wields and just, like, destroys Maul and Oppress. And is like, like, oh, and we get to see groveling Maul. Like, he goes from this position of, I think he, he at one point does call Oppress brother. Or at least calls him by his name, but goes back to like apprentice. He's very mm-hmm. much in power. Maul is like clowning on Previsla, <laughs> right? He is he has got the stuff on lock, and then Sidious gets there, and he turns into this like groveling mess where he like yeah. he actually is begging for his life at one point, and just to see like how much power Sidious has was really satisfying in this like epic battle as well. Like yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, they keep doing this one up of showing one very powerful group or person, and then the other just like like he said, clowns them, and then that person gets clowned by someone else, and up and up another ladder. Um, like you, I'm not a big fight person. Like lightsaber battles can look awesome, but generally I'm not like, oh, that fight scene was so great. One of the first things that happens is when Maul and Savage Press are dealing with Black Sun, 
The one group of leaders of Black Sun wants nothing to do with them. And so Oppress just throws his double-sided, double-bladed lightsaber, the yeah. light, light staff, basically, and it's spinning. And it just decapitates everyone on both sides of the table. And it makes no sense whatsoever, but it looks amazing. And it was just such a perfect, like, sinister, powerful, like, yeah, this is why everyone lines up behind these guys, because they'll do anything and they can pull it off. Yeah, I didn't realize he decapitated both sides of the table. I saw the main guy get decapitated. But I wasn't oh. paying attention to the heads of everyone else because there oh, was yeah, you like, see all the other bodies wow. like just slumped down with their like no heads on their bodies. Huh. Yeah, and so Black Sun, uh, the criminal organization, people may be familiar with. There was a video game called Shadows of the Empire, and I believe there may have been a book and/or comic book also published uh, parallel to it. Um, it was, I think, it was on the Super Super Nintendo. And it introduced this organization, Black Sun. This is in the uh, Imperial period, I think, right mm. after, yeah, right after the Empire Strikes Back, right, where Leia and Chewbacca go undercover as bounty hunters, and this right. is, I think, this is where she starts wearing the the Boosh disguise, and and they infiltrate Black Sun. And people who've only seen the movies will remember Black Sun and Maul's involvement with them because I believe that's the one of the key twists at the end of Solo is that because they've been involved kind of uh, that black... organization was called Crimson, Crimson Dawn, Dawn. Yeah. which is similar. Oh, okay, <laughs> no, you're right. I get those two confused. I don't know how. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also Dark Moon. Oh, no, there's not. There's not. But I mean, it's still Black Sun is a much better name than Death Watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, Death Watch is a you know it's not good PR. They it's a little on the nose. Better marketing. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of bad PR, so one of the things that happens here is after Death Watch takes control, they imprison Duchess Satine, and Pre Vizsla is talking about executing her. And Bo-Katan, at this point, we're not supposed to know that they're sisters. Right. But she should have said something, right? Yeah, Bo-Katan seems very chill with this this plan of like murdering her sister. I wanted to talk more about her because I think, especially for many of our listeners, they may not have really seen Bo-Katan until we get introduced to her in um, Mandalorian, in which she's definitely like a hero mm-hmm. figure. She's one of the people who, you know, joins up with, with Din. And certainly she's appeared in other properties that, that uh, make it discussed going forward. But in this, it I mean, I feel like this is the what we're kind of showing is that this is very much her, you know, where she starts from and then where she's going. And the sense that I got of it is that, I mean, we kind of know that Pre Vizsla mostly wants power for power's sake, but that the message that he's giving of the Mandalorians used to be this proud warrior race and Satine and people like her have kind of, you know, betrayed the honor and the history and the, the legacy of Mandalorian culture. And so she's responsible for everything wrong, that the people who follow him have definitely bought into that hook, line and sinker. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you, Bo-Katan is so visibly upset at the death of Pre Vizsla that I guess my, my take on it was that she is so bought into what he's saying that she's, it's that kind of like, well, yes, you're my sister, but you've betrayed, you're, you're a traitor to our, our world and a traitor to our cause. And so I don't think she's fine with just like casually murdering Satine, but I think she believes Vizsla's lies that Satine was, you know, caught trying to commit treason and, and, and win back power, and so she deserves to be executed. Yeah. And she does say when, like, Corky gets Bokotan to 
come with him to go meet up with Satine. And mm-hmm. Satine's kind of like, uh, why are you here? Um, her reasoning is that, you know, oh, well, we, we have a common enemy now. Um, like the right. enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, so yeah, it, it, I don't know. It does seem weird though that she wouldn't be like, hey, that's my sister. And I guess like we're preserving that for the reveal at the end of the, the right. third episode, but. Which apparently they weren't certain if they even wanted to reveal that. I mean, mm. they they knew that that relationship existed, but I think mm. the I read that the writers went back and forth on whether they explicitly wanted Obi Wan to say that at the end. Yeah, that's fair. When he, he and he finds out about it, what he says to her as he's walking onto the ship is, "I'm so sorry," yeah. uh, which I I loved because it, it's so clearly it must have been a callback. It's exactly what he says as he's walking away to Padme once he realizes that, you know, he says, is Anakin the father of your child? And she just kind of, like, looks down and acknowledges it. And he says, I'm so sorry in that exact way. Huh. Um, so I just, I just love that little moment there. Yeah, he didn't didn't pick up on that. There was a couple of other callbacky kind of phrases. Mm. Um, but well, Let's stick with Bo-Katan for just another few minutes. Mm. Um because I, I think it's a really interesting character moment for her, and I think interesting to discuss further. I, I guess my only other thing with the the whole thing about her sister is, you know, if you're trying to get high up in an organization that's dedicated to overthrowing what they see as a corrupt government, I'm guessing you might not want to reveal the fact that you're connected to the people in that government. Yeah, that could be. Like, she just she's hiding it from Death Watch itself, is what you're saying? Yeah. Maybe? I mean, I don't, I don't know there. Maybe maybe it's, it would have been clear and there'd be no way to hide that. Or maybe it was just a, like, she doesn't want to acknowledge uh, that. She's got, like, feelings and yeah, would want... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It is, like, to kind of metagame on Bo-Katan a bit. Like, she's voiced by Katie Sackhoff, mm-hmm. who's a big name in the, in the sci-fi world. Right. So I think, like, the idea of Bo-Katan being an important character... Um, even if they didn't reveal that she was the sister of Satine, mm. it, it is probably still there. Like, obviously, we know she's important. She's yeah. been on The Mandalorian. She's been in other things, as you, as you mentioned. But yeah, I think there's no hiding that Bo-Katan is an important figure. But yeah, that's explicitly linking her as Satine's sister. Maybe isn't entirely necessary? I don't know. Or like revealing it, at least. That's fair. So one of the things that I thought when I was watching this is that Bo-Katan might be, I don't, I don't know, I guess a Mandalorian supremacist mm. because like she, yeah, she takes offense to the murder of um, Pre Vizsla. Right. But it was a, it was an honorable, like quote unquote legal duel, right? According to their traditions. Right. So most, you know, most of the other members of Death Watch are like, yeah, okay, Maul's our leader now. <laughs> like, he won the trial by combat. And right. she is very much against it and says, explicitly says, like, an outsider will never sit on the throne of Mandalore or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so she just immediately, like, turns on them because of that. So I think there's something there where, like, she believes in, like, Mandalore for Mandalorians only. Right. And, like, Death Watch's whole motto does seem very, like, Mandalorian heritage above all mm-hmm. else. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and this is something, and um, 
I'm, we're mostly just talking about the Clone Wars, but obviously part of why we're excited talking about these stories is because these characters are getting referenced again and in Bo-Katan's case appearing again in the TV show The Mandalorian. Um, and in that show, we have it established that uh, Din, our hero, is part of this sort of offshoot group uh, that also, uh, you know, had high levels of reverence for this uh, Mandalorian culture and Mandalorian honor and things like that. Uh, one that Bo-Katan was kind of dismissive of, but I I love getting to see these parts of Bo-Katan again because I don't know if she's going to be included in future seasons. I really hope she is, but I would love it if we would get to have like a scene of Bo-Katan like, telling Din a different version of Mandalorian history than the one he's been raised with mm. and getting to hear like how much... First of all, how much does she still hold to these ideas? Because you're right, Riki, at this point, she's very much like... Only Mandalorian. And, and you can see it, I think, as supremacist, or you can see it as very just, like, no outsiders. Like, you know, we don't want to be colonized. But even so, I'd, I'd love to see, like, have her views changed? And how does how does she talk about Death Watch? And how does that connect to the group that, that Din is a part of? I think that all can be such interesting parts of the Mandalorian story. Yeah, what's odd to me is that uh, both Bo and Pre Vizsla, their vision for Mandalore seems to be like very isolationist because that's that's what causes the conflict between Visla and Maul is that Maul wants to use Mandalore as a base of operations to manipulate the other neutral systems that Mandalore you know, rules over or, or, or whatever is part of an alliance with right. and previous is like no we're not going to do that anymore I have Mandalore I only care about Mandalore you go do your thing in the rest of the galaxy. Yeah, he's like, we'll kill Obi-Wan, but we're good now. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they definitely have very different goals, and I think you're right that that, and, and to some extent, that's across Mandalore. I mean, even Satine has been very, you know, vigilant about the idea that she will not join either the Separatists or the Republic. Um, and, you know, the Jedi are still grumpy about that, clearly, because that's why they can't send any aid to help her. Well, yeah, that's why so... they say they can't send any aid to help her, but yeah. But the thing is, like, Satine... Under Satine, Mandalore is still a part of the Republic, question mark, right? She's a senator. Mm-hmm. Right. And she is part of this alliance of, of neutral systems, which is, a, a, I guess, like a third faction in, in the right. galactic politics. And I get the impression that Pre Vizsla didn't like even that. And like if he had seen his plans to fruition, they would have just withdrawn completely. From all of it. Yeah, well, Satine's uh, motto, or, like, end goal, is, is very, like, peace-oriented. Not necessarily staying out of everyone's business, but most, but just, like, not engaging in conflict, right? And that's why, like, Al- Almec and, um, and Previsla, too, are, are um, using that sort of, like, oh, she puts peace above all else and is therefore putting all of Mandalore in danger. That's what they use to get the people of Mandalore to chant a variety of things throughout these episodes. Right. Um, there, I was one thing we noticed was like, there's a lot of people just hanging around ready to chant whatever on Mandalore. Yeah. Like, good for them. Every time, yeah, every time either Previsla or Almec gives a speech, there are hundreds if not thousands of people <laughs> chanting their name. Yeah. Like, don't you have I, jobs? <laughs> I, I did think that there was some interesting messaging happening there because, again, you know, remember when the clo- when the Clone Wars was happening in the mid two thousands, and all the sort of discussion and critique of the the Iraq Wars and 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 the the security apparatus that was being set up, 
And I mean, a key part of this is the idea that this group creates a fake crisis in order to scare people enough that they're mm-hmm. willing to basically accept fashion, like a, you know, a military dictatorship oh, again. Yeah, um, it's absolutely very like, okay, there's, there's some commentary on world events happening here. The visuals of those scenes where the people are chanting is very, is very fascist. Yeah. It's very Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. But that's the weird thing is that after taking control, like pre plans don't include like conquering other people. Right. right. Yeah, he doesn't that, want a Mandalorian Empire. He just no. wants, like I said, Mandalore for Mandalores. Fun little note. Pre Vizsla's uh, voiced by John Favreau, which I think we may have mentioned when we first oh, yes, that's right. uh, encountered Pre Vizsla, but also nobody seems to be able to pronounce Pre Vizsla correctly. Like, there's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I chuckled earlier, because multiple characters, I think, like Vizsla. Pre Vizsla. Privisla right. was like the uh, the narrator introduces them, and you're just like, we need like a pronunciation guide of voice actors. Yeah, well, his name is one of those where I get that we're trying to push the idea that Star the Star Wars universe doesn't have the same naming conventions as ours. Their mm-hmm. galaxy doesn't have the same naming conventions, but like the, honestly, the first couple times I heard this character's name, I thought what it meant was that he was like the first Vizsla. Bef- yeah, yeah. Like he was before. the one who went before the rest of the Vizslas. You know, he was pre Vizslas. And then they read uh, his son post Vizsla. Yeah. Well, no, that would have been if Obi Wan had been present when he died. That's the joke he would have made. Yeah, it's like, oh, I guess he's post Vizsla now. We did have a moment, which is like I, I think I pre- I've gone on record many times as saying no moment is inappropriate for Sass for Obi Wan Kenobi. We uh-huh. found one right, like when Satine was dying like was murdered in front of him he was legit wrecked um yeah come on (laughs) well i know i know i know but like to see that side of obi-wan is like refreshing kind of nice like he has been so detached which i think is where this like sarcastic like i would have made a post vizsla kind of joke is coming from Mm -hmm. but like just to see how much he was attached to satine is nice and kind of pulls him back into this um like the same venue as like Anakin with Anakin's attachments, right? And we're oh, yeah. seeing that he's using maybe the sarcasm as a way of putting up a barrier in front of this idea of attachment. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very accurate. Um, I want to ask one more quick Satine question, and then let's go deep into the Obi Wan of it all, because I think that's a, honestly one of the best parts of this whole uh, arc. Because we talked about how Satine is really dedicated to peace. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, more recently people started talking about the idea of like the danger of tolerating intolerance, you know, and of sort of like allowing folks coming into the public square, preaching fascism or Nazism or whatever. And like, you know, that letting that happen can be really dangerous sometimes. Um, Satine basically just stands there while Vizsla shows up and gives this speech about how she's awful and terrible and needs to be overthrown and lying like crazy about how, you know, he should be allowed to take over. Should she have stopped him? Does she know he's lying like crazy? Like, she doesn't know that he's in league with uh, the mm-hmm. crime syndicates, does she? That's true. But he's certainly making a case for overthrowing her right in front of her. Oh, sure. <laughs> but she, I think she's very, like, she even says after she's been captured, like, it's the will of the people or something like that. Right. Um. Yeah, she should have called for an election. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. instead of just letting him straight up overthrow her. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting scene. I think it's meant to sort of show that she's just very passive. Um, and I, I, yeah, I definitely like 
I don't want her to be like, okay, no one can can challenge my rule, deaf to you, you know. But but definitely, I think there was a powerful <laughs> moment there of like him challenging her and her just having no response, and that's part of why the people turn to him. Speaking of no response, I I just thought it was very sad. In her dying moments, she admits her feelings for mm-hmm. Obi Wan. And then says, you know, I love you. I've always loved you, or something like I. O- I will always love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, he can't say it back. And that was just very sad to me because we know we know that's how he feels. But even in her dying moments, he won't. He won't say it out loud. I feel like he wouldn't say it with words. But we saw him like caress her cheek as he's yeah. holding her in a way that is very. Mo- I mean, like that's not a Je- Jedi platonic like let me make you feel better <laughs> kind of a touch. Um, I, you're right. I think I wish he would have said it with words, but I think he also is very clearly saying it in the way that he can. Yeah, he's too, like, emotionally stunted. I don't know if that's the right word to, like, be able to say it out loud. Didn't want to say it in front of his bronomy. No, like, not <laughs> even that. I feel like he does not, well... I don't think anybody outside of Satine exists for him in that moment, right? Like he's yeah. not really that concerned about what Maul thinks about him in that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like devastated. Do you think well, that but... he's maybe never admitted it to himself until that moment? Because he's you know he's supposed to be like the Jedi. You know he's the one always reminding Anakin not to grow too attached. He's always sort of tried to play it off that he's not interested in Satine the way she is. Um, although clearly we've always known that that's farcical. Um, yeah. Well, Do you think that he's always known he just won't admit it, or that maybe he like that's the moment when he has to recognize his feelings himself? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the first one. Like he even talks about how he would have, like he would have left the Jedi Academy for her mm-hmm. in like previous episodes. So maybe like maybe not love, but he definitely knows that he's got big feelings for her. Mm-hmm. And like he's he, even coming to Mandalore. Like he's not supposed to be here. He's just showing up because he's got to go help her. Like she has, she, th- and th- this is the, like the callback where she like, basically help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. I would really like your help. Right. She doesn't go right. to like, you're my only hope, which would have been nice to on the nose. I don't know. Um, but yeah, she, she doesn't call and ask the Jedi for help. She calls and asks Obi-Wan for sure. help. Uh, and he shows up. Well, that last time she called the Jedi, they sent Ahsoka. So she <laughs> She's had to like, be, more, be specific. <laughs> Padme, do not I, forget something. Yeah, I think I think maybe the reason Obi Wan doesn't say it, say I love you back, is because he can't control. He he, he doesn't want to lose control of his emotions, and that's like yeah. the mm-hmm. that's like a barrier or a dam. If he says I love you and she dies, I think then he goes into like a death wail. And like summons the force and like turns to the dark side. Like that's a that's a possibility, and I feel like he had to stop himself there, stop short. Well, especially because I mean, I, I are we in agreement that that is that what you just described is exactly what Maul is hoping for. That's oh, why Maul does this, and like yeah, oh, he yeah. does this thing of like having Satine run to Obi Wan, and then he sort of puts out the sword and like kills her right in front of Obi Wan, while Obi Wan's powerless to stop him. Like I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think that actually might that be the best explanation is he knows that Maul is doing all of this for exactly that reason to bring out his feelings. And so that even that alone is like, I have to stop this. Yeah. And he like Maul 
makes his join the dark side we have cookies speech to him uh and obi-wan like says something about how it's it's easy to join the dark side like it's easy to give in to those feelings of hate and of anger and that that's not powerful what's powerful is being able to turn down the draw mm-hmm. to the dark side um and he he's strong enough to say no basically um which i thought was like a good a good retort a good speech like this idea of turning down the call to power right well i mean that that is at the heart of it the whole point of the the jedi belief that attachments are wrong is that if you're attached to something you know the loss of it can send you towards the dark side mm-hmm. well it's is ultimately what broke anakin right it was this idea of the possibility of losing padme right which is really no. i think is more the possibility of don't you don't you dare um i think it was really the possibility of losing control over the situation less than like losing padme herself but still this idea of yeah not of, of having attachments to people yeah being your downfall think... but still like sorry go ahead oh see, with, with anakin i think i mean anakin's basically a, a case study in toxic masculinity you know mm-hmm. and just sort of every kind of toxic masculine idea of you know, like you said, wanting control, wanting to sort of have the image of the protector, you know, that like I must protect my woman and my child and that like all of that, I think, is wrapped up with Anakin. And you're right. It's it's not just love. It's like his self-image and his sense of control and, and all of that. And the Jedi are also instilling in him this like it is not OK to show your feelings, which is another really prominent facet of this right. like toxic masculinity. Yeah. So he's like he's the whole package. Whether or not uh, it was entirely his doing or, like, it came from external sources. But, yeah. Little of both. Mm-hmm. So what else, What other, do we have any other thoughts on kind of the, the, the romance that we get between Satine and, and Obi-Wan? We've known this was coming for a while, obviously. Um, not <laughs> death necessarily, but this is kind of the, the culmination of this slow-burning flirtation that's been coming for a long time. It was really missing an end cap. Mm-hmm. It was missing a moment where he, like, a quiet moment where he's remembering her, I felt yeah. like. Like, you mean at the at the end of the episode you wanted something? Yeah, like, maybe, like, after he gets back to the Jedi Temple, he has a picture of her on his desk. Or, or <laughs> some, something like an object that reminds him of her. A hologram that includes her holding up the and device that's yeah. capturing her hologram. Yeah, and a, and a single tear rolls down yeah. his cheek, and then it turns to a snowflake. No, that's Batman the animated I, series. Matthew, I think the the line that you pointed out, where he says "I'm so sorry" to Bo-Katan, kind of stands in for that moment that you're talking about. Like, right? He's he's not just apologizing for to Bo-Katan that her sister is dead, right? It's not like a my condolences on the loss of your sister. It's part of that, but I think it's also this like I'm so sorry that I couldn't save her. It's not just that he couldn't save her. He's the reason she died. Yeah. Right. Because they wanted to get to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's actually really well put. Uh, that's the tragedy of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think he knows that. And I th- But I also think that there's something there of he can't acknowledge his own pain. He can only acknowledge hers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's classic superhero theory, right, Matthew, right. that the reason the superheroes have secret identities is they don't want the villains to know who they can get to 
Right. I mean, that's that's the speech Tobey Maguire gives to Tobey Maguire. Spider Man gives to um, is it Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy in the Tobey Maguire movie? That's yeah, Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Uh, it's what Harry tells Ginny in uh, you know Harry Potter. Like, yeah, it's it's this always idea of you'll be a vulnerability against me, which is kind of problematic in a whole bunch of ways. But it's it's definitely the thing. It's to avoid exactly this moment. Do you think this is like? In Obi-Wan's mind, like a driving home of the idea that we shouldn't have attachments as Jedi? Probably. I was thinking about this in terms of what Riki said about the end cap. And, you know, this is the problem that I always have when you go back and do things that are set before something that's already been made. Mm. Which is, this story is so beautiful and such an essential part of who Obi-Wan is, that now the fact that is never mentioned or discussed or we never see Obi-Wan thinking about it during the movie Revenge of the Sith when Obi-Wan is figuring out what's happening between Anakin and Padme just feels all the more wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, there's no way, of course, they can go back and, like, put that in. But, like, that to me, that would be one of the perfect time. You need an end cap here, but also there would have been some reference to it there, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, Obi-Wan saying, like, you know, Anakin, I, I know where this can lead to. Or, you know, Anakin throwing in his face of, like, you know, why was it, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to lose her the way you lost Satine, you know, something like that's what he would have said on, um, Mustafar. Um, but yeah, no, oh, we know. Cause, cause by the way, we get a little Mustafar in this, uh, arc. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Which always. Explain that for those who haven't seen it. Oh. What Mustafar is? It's the, it's the lava planet. Where no, no, Anakin... what happens in these episodes? Oh. Oh. <laughs> sure. Uh, it was one of the headquarters of the crime syndicates. Which Is it Black Sun? Mm, I think it was think, Black Sun. Wasn't it the Pikes? No? Was it both Black Sun and the Pikes? No, the Pikes have their own planet. Okay. Somewhere. Kessel, maybe? I think it was Black Sun. I think right. they had their base on there. You know, mm-hmm. precariously perched over a river of lava. As you yes. do. Yeah, because that that's, that's the place to go, you know? Um. <laughs> there was like a big cutscene of them like going to and getting various crime families together so I think like yeah, the reason the we're montage. confused as to like where who they got from yeah Star we Bar. didn't even mention I, I might maybe briefly mention that they get the huts yeah. as well they threaten the huts and Which, it works so they go to Nalhada as you do and like they're trying to get information out of the huts and one of the huts tells them like Jabba is at Jabba's palace. On Tatooine. On Tatooine. And, like, Maul seems to already know that and is just like, why would you tell us this? And then kills him. And it's like, why would you go there asking if you already knew? <laughs> like, this isn't his fault. But, yeah. I, the yeah, feeling I, I got there was that Maul was trying to cover up for the fact that he was clearly being an idiot. Mm, he was not like, uh, all uh, right. of course I knew that. Why wouldn't? I didn't know that. But of course I knew that, you know? That's fair. <laughs> and we get a bunch of nice bounty hunter moments. Mm-hmm. Um, Dengar and Embo are there. Uh, Embo being the, the guy who has the big hat, the metal hat that he throws like Captain America's shield. And the puppy. Mm-hmm. It's not a puppy, but he's got like a little a little companion. Little mm-hmm. animal companion. Who apparently in the credits, Embo is voiced by Dave Filoni, which I don't think he actually says anything, but he grunts a couple times during the fight. <laughs> okay, so okay. great job. So you have Favreau and Filoni together on yeah. screen. I like it. I like Delightful. It. Were they ever together on screen? Probably at some point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, and yeah, then, 
Oh, go ahead. I wrote I wrote in my notes that um I do love a getting the band back getting the band together montage, which is kind of how it felt, you know, as they went from like, you know, um criminal gang to criminal gang, you know, like, hey, can you join us? Oh no? Okay, we'll kill those group of leaders. Hey, do you want to mm-hmm. join us? Yes, yeah. we do. Great. Next group, you know. Yeah, and it, it was fun to check in. Like we saw Embo at in the cube, um, where oh Moralo Evol. <laughs> tested them all so it was yeah it was nice to to like see there was another bounty hunter who we saw in the seven samurai episode um she was there yeah mm-hmm. so it was it was it was fun to like check in on these characters without like getting necessarily bogged down with them just kind of like oh hey they're hanging out they're mm-hmm. they're here which is yeah I, I think another reason why these episodes are so good like we're we get a lot of character development from our main characters but we also get to like kind of check in on some side characters who are fun but we're not necessarily getting super invested in and we don't need to be super invested in yeah i mean we haven't even talked much about um maul and oppress and i feel like they in some ways got a ton of development because here you know in the past we've seen them being very like brute force like we have the big swords we're really good at power here they do much like on some level i kind of wanted palpatine to be a little bit proud of them because basically what they're doing on mandalore is a microcosm of exactly what palpatine is trying to do to the whole republic of create this fake crisis so that you can ride in as the rescuer and convince the people to give you all the power and i i, mean, I, I just loved seeing like and even a press gets it there's one moment where maul's like yes you understand like we <laughs> manipulate them we use their greed against them yeah, Maul even says when uh, when Sidious comes to take care of business, like he says, like, "Oh, master, I was using all the things that you taught me to do this for you because I love you," um, which is clearly a lie, and Sidious calls him out on it. But yeah, like he he is acting very politically sneaky. I think oppressed stays is kind of the muscle for for most of it until like Maul has to teach him what's going on. It's not really mm-hmm. coming naturally. And we do get, like, physical development from them, right? Like, uh, Maul's got new legs, thanks to Death Watch. Um, yep. Oppress has a mechanical arm. Um, so Maul's back to being shorter than Oppress, which is Oh, fine. yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think it's a lie. Maul, Maul saying that he did it all. To impress Palpatine? Yeah. But he's been going on and on about how he and Oppress are the only two true Sith. The rule of two. Blurdy blur. Yeah, I think if if I think if in that moment Sidious had said, you've done well, and like called him his apprentice again and told him to get rid of Oppress, he would have done it in a second. Out of respect for Sidious or out of fear for Sidious? I, I think he's he's got a very complex relationship with Sidious. Yeah. That is like... I mean, he raised him, right? Like he's essentially mm-hmm. his father. Oh yeah. Not and not just like father figure. Like he he's his father in terms of like he was there growing up. Yeah, well, he took him from the night sisters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah as a little baby. And, yeah. I... And so I do think like he's done everything to impress his father. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has to me that kind of like teenage rebellion where you might not even realize you're doing that on some conscious level, but yet there's definitely like, F you, Dad. I'm I'm going to fight you. I'm going to do those things. Oh, you're proud of me? Now you love me, Dad? Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I, I think there's definitely some element of that. Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 
it's one of the brilliances of these episodes is that Maul has been, you know, obviously like big bad villain since he first appeared in Phantom Menace and all of this. They've been slaughtering Jedi, slaughtering people. I felt genuine sympathy for Maul when he's so clearly like, he's like, Daddy, I want you to love me again. Look how good I am. And Palpatine's like, nope, you're a rival. I got to kill you and your brother. I don't know if I felt sympathy for him. Empathy, maybe? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see. I totally see what you're saying. And yeah, I guess I, I didn't think of it that way, clearly. Um, I thought he was trying to pull one over on, on Sidious. But that, I mean, that makes more sense that he is trying to just like win him back, even if it's subconscious or like mm-hmm. to be to, to make daddy proud. As like you said. Yeah. You're making a face, Riki. Mm hmm. Well, no. What? It was my theory. <laughs> my theory. I believe my own theory. Okay. I do. I, I believe your theory now too. You've convinced me. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to comment on how powerful Sidious is mm-hmm. from the moment he steps mm-hmm. off of his shuttle. So he's confronted by two Death Watch guards, and they're like, "You can't park that here." And normally, when we see um, Sith force choke people, they have to make a hand gesture, right? Like. Darth Vader makes the classic, like, I'm choking you, I'm choking you, hand gesture. Uh, Sidious makes a gesture, but he just, like, kind of subtly lifts his finger while mm-hmm. he walks past these two people, and they start choking. And he gets on, like, a sky skiff to fly to the, the palace or whatever, and they're still choking in the background behind him. He's not even paying attention. Yeah. And, and again, like, during the fight... um with oppress and maul it's effortless Mm -hmm. for him the the killing blow on oppress is just like so i'm easy for him oppress is behind him and sidious is uh he like flips his sabers around to face backwards and just like runs backwards Mm -hmm. into oppress again like doesn't even look at him yeah. yeah, and I think it's such a contrast to Palpatine, who has this kind of, like, frail old man thing going on. Like, he's not, like, he's not especially old, but he, he does act a little, like... He plays it up. He plays it up. He's, like, he'll, like, grab Anakin's arm when he's walking and, like, kind of lean on him a little bit, which, again, is, like, playing up the relationship. But he was, like, doing backflips and all kinds mm-hmm. of crazy stuff like that, um, which, honestly, like... He kind of reminded me of Yoda, like Yoda's fighting style of yeah. flips and stuff. Parkour. But then Jedi also parkour. this like, pardon? Uh, for force parkour. Force parkour. Yeah. And I thought that was like a neat, because they're sort of these like opposite poles of the force, right? Right. I think you're right. And I think there's one other thing about um, Sidious's power that we see. And here it's actually when he is Palpatine, which is that. Obi-Wan finds out about what's going on because, like, Satine gets him a message. Um, Obi, uh, with, with Palpatine, he just senses this disturbance in the Force from, like, many, many star systems, you know, light years away. And I think Leota is the only one we've seen who kind of has that power. So I thought that was also a really good moment of just us really starting to see, first of all, being very, we're not hiding anything anymore. Palpatine is Sidious, Sidious is Palpatine. But just showing that he he can feel that from all the way far away and and know, okay, I got to go to Mandalore is a pretty scary moment for just seeing what he can do. Yeah, and this isn't some sort of like 
mass extinction like what we see on Alderaan, where there's, you know, a thousand lives being lost at once, or millions of lives being lost at once, it's it's just like this subtle power shift that um, Palpatine slash Sidious is picking up on. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think he sensed? Was it was it Maul growing in power? Was it Obi-Wan? Like, did he sense Obi-Wan's, I don't know, grief and like almost falling to the dark side? The impression I got is that he sensed kind of Maul and oppressed, kind of like you said, coming into their power. I think this is, is this the first time that we hear Maul refer to them as the new lords of the Sith? Because I thought in the past he had sort of said, we're going to set up our own thing. But here when Vizsla asks, are you the Sith? He's like, yes, we are. Well, Vizsla questions the rule of two. He's like, I thought there were only ever two Sith. And he's basically like, right. you're looking at him. That's us. Right. Yeah. I think he's just preening. Yeah. But I wonder, like, that could be what Palpatine... Because am I right that until now, Maul and Oppress have been talking about doing a different dark side thing, but not necessarily being Sith? Yeah. Like a, a, a brand new dark side. A kinder, right. gentler dark side. That's not right. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, yeah a different... Sith, not exactly. They, yeah, they're exactly right they're not they don't want anything to do with the sith although they are still in this power dynamic of master and apprentice right Mm -hmm. and like maul continually referring to oppress as his apprentice as so much so that like he doesn't like he doesn't call him brother he only calls him oppress um like when they wake up in the death watch camp and they're like on surgical tables i think he says like oppress or like savage maybe i don't know but he calls him by his name. But then back to that, it's just like, nah, apprentice. Yeah. But that seems more like a power play versus a sticking to Sith doctrine. Yeah. Hierarchy is going to hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I think that part's pretty clear. Yeah. I I thought it was in reaction to like Obi-Wan's pain at Satine's death. But oh, yeah, it. it could just be um, just Maul's presence in general. Like, like you guys have said, he is like a son to Palpatine. Or like, I don't Do you think Palpatine views him like a son? Or is it just Maul that views Palpatine like a father? Palpatine doesn't care about anyone. Other than Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair. Yeah. Especially, I think, I think Palpatine may have had some feelings of affection towards Maul. But, but it kind of in that same Anakin way of like, this is a this is my creation, and so I'm proud of him. And mm-hmm. so I think once Maul failed, Palpatine wanted nothing more to do with him. Yeah, mm. you know, v- viewing apprentices as, as tools. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Maul is no longer useful, and also now Maul makes me look bad instead of Maul making me look good. Yeah. Which so. earlier in the season, <laughs> when Maul and Oppress were first going on their rampage, and the Jedi Council was like, "Should we do something?" Chancellor Palpatine was like, nah, don't worry about it. They're just doing petty criminal things. Like, that came back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like, time, yeah. Yeah, it almost felt like he was just like, like crack his knuckles, yeah. like, time to go take take out the trash. Do you think that maybe on some level he was hoping that they would, like, you know, mess with the Jedi somewhat or just generally add more to the whole chaos that he wants to have happen to, to speed him to more and more power? I don't necessarily think so, because the the induction of chaos seems to be quite controlled from Palpatine's Mm -hmm. perspective. Like, what we saw at the Cube and this idea of, like, having this bounty hunter tournament thing, 
Right. Um, right? Like, e- even that seemed like Palpatine had quite a good grasp as to what was going on there. Mm-hmm. How much of it was premeditated and how much of it was just him going with a flow is, like, I think up for debate. But I don't think he would have knowingly let Savage and Maul muck around so powerfully, I guess. Because, like, right. if it if they do become a genuine threat against Palpatine, like, that's a big problem. And I think he knows that Maul could get there. Or, like, maybe he, maybe he didn't and was genuinely surprised by this uprising. Yeah, he doesn't want chaos. I mean, what you refer to as chaos is all controlled by him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's right. moving both sides of the chessboard. And so, like, having a you know, like, instead of a white pawn and a black pawn, having, like, this red pawn show up on your board is like, uh, that's not the game I'm playing. (laughs) That's fair. That's definitely fair. I I did feel like I I, I get it's not the story they told, but a part of me wanted to have Dooku there as well, just because you have so many interesting dynamics there of Savage having worked for Dooku at one Mm -hmm. point, and then, you know, Dooku abandoning Savage, but also, um... Dooku basically being the one who replaces Maul. Um, and so I I, I, I kind of missed him a little bit. Uh, but I also understand why it was just Palpatine was like, no, I don't want to mess around with anyone else. I just want to go take care of this myself. Yeah. Well, I have good news for you, Matthew. There was uh, there was some scripts written following this up, like what Palpatine is referring to as, I have plans for you at the end to Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, they never got filmed for Clone Wars because it was canceled. And then, like, they had that weird lost season and right. then came back. But they did turn it into a comic book. Maul, oh, cool. I think Maul's son of Dathomir. And mm-hmm. it deals with uh, Maul and Dooku actually face off against each other. Oh, that's awesome. I would definitely have to. Uh, I'm not very good at reading comic books, but I'll definitely try to, <sighs> like, find a wiki uh, summary of it or something like that. Because that sounds <sighs> awesome. <laughs> I think he's a diehard comic book lover. Yes. I know, I know. Um, well, so I think those were the big points I wanted to hit. Any other big things from these episodes you all wanted to talk about? Um, not big things. I have I have little funny commentary, <laughs> and that's about it. Go for I it. I actually had one little realization as well, but you go first. Ooh, okay. Um, so the two things about planet names. Um, Man- Mandalore, whenever they're chanting, I just... I wanted them to chant Mandalore, but in the Seinfeld, like, Mandelbaum tone. And we never got that, and I was sad. I just wanted some, like, Mandalore, Mandalore. Because that's what I say in my brain every time. And uh, Mustafar. She also says it out loud. (laughs) Don't tell people. (laughs) That was between you and me and the cat. Um, And Mustafar, like... I always think of um, another thing that Tim Curry is involved in, perhaps his best work, Muppet Treasure Island, where Gonzo says they're going to Zanzibar to meet the Zanzibarbarians. I always think whenever we go to Mustafar, we're going to meet the Mustafarians. His best work <laughs> uh, is Clue those don't get it. Uh, Tim, this is the episode where Tim Curry takes over the voice of Emperor Palpatine. Oh yeah, yeah. We've um, he's he's done like a couple lines um, in. A previous episode where we've seen Palpatine, but I think he's like officially credited mm. here, and we see this is like in, in um, tribute to Ian Amber Crombie, the previous voice of House Palpatine, who had recently passed away. Right, and I think he does a great job. Like you can definitely tell it's Tim Curry, but I mean, yeah, I think I think he does like a good job of it. 
we didn't notice for a while on our first watch through, and I think I pointed it out, and it was mm. like we had to look it up and be like, "Is that Tim Curry?" And it's I, I hate to say fortuitous because it's it's sad that Ian Abercrombie passed away, mm-hmm. um, but the transition between the two actors I think happened at a a good point for this series because I always thought Ian Abercrombie played an excellent Chancellor Palpatine. And then when we transition into seeing more of the Sidious role as we did in these episodes, Tim Curry just hams it up, mm, and he's yeah. fantastic at that kind of thing. Mm. I and I apparently must. I thought I was pretty good at recognizing voices. I had no idea it was Tim Curry until you all pointed it out. But um, <laughs> even though we actually had talked about it beforehand, but uh, yeah, I think he just is fantastic at that voice. Yeah, there's like there was one line, and I think. Knowing that it was Tim Curry was, I was like, that's, that's, that's it. That's the Tim Curry. But yeah, Mm -hmm. it took me until like either later into this season or maybe even season six before I was like, is this Tim Curry? Um, And it was. Yeah. Yeah. So the cool little thing I noticed ever since the Darksaber has appeared, it has always looked very weird to me and I couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it is because it's not the same shape as a lightsaber. It's more Mm -hmm. like a. Not a scimitar, but like it's, it's like a, a like a wide flat blade instead of just like a the the, the roundish almost saber. Of a sharp yeah, it's like edge. a one side. Like it's only one side as quote unquote sharp, right? Right. But the other thing is because I I I am not a very visual person. I I'm, I feel like an idiot. It took me till now to realize it. It's because every other lightsaber is as at least it's animated. The the core of it is white, and then it has like an aura around it that it's a particular color. Mm-hmm. And so in your head, I would think like a dark saber would be the same thing, but with a dark aura around it. And actually, no, it's the reverse. It's that the the center of it is black uh, and doesn't really shine the way the white one does. It's just a sort of like, you know, black shape of a sword. And then there's like a white kind of shininess around it. So it's actually it's completely reversed in that way. Mm. And like I said, I'm not a visual person, but once I put that together, I was like, oh, okay, that's... That's awesome because it helps me understand, like, why does this look so different from every other lightsaber? Yeah. And I think it's it's such a cool look, too, because like, like you pointed out, it's not how we expect light to act, right? Like, that's just not – that's not how light works. Um, so to have the darksaber look like that, it's almost as if kind of like a black hole effect. Like, the light is being, yeah. like, sucked yeah. away from it. it yeah, it looks, it looks super cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, and we, I, I like that we get to sort of track its lineage a little more, right? Like now, mm-hmm. now it's in yep. Maul's hands. How does it get to Giancarlo Esposito? Well, and now we'll that that, di- that dynamic they talk about about how Din wins the sword and so he rules Mandalore now. Mm. I, I like that we actually get to see that happening. You know, that yeah. that's this idea of because on some level you think Bo-Katan is kind of right. Like, um, in in a weird way, it kind of reminds me actually a lot of Black Panther and how in Black Panther the movie. Um, when Eric Killmonger comes along to want to challenge T'Challa for the throne, they won't let him. It's not just like anyone can get into combat. It's he has to prove, no, I actually am a son of Wakanda and I'm part of the royal family. That kind of gives me the right to challenge. Um, and Bo-Katan says that same kind of idea. Like, not she doesn't think anyone can challenge, but Maul, who is clearly not a Mandalorian, clearly not at all connected to them, he just wants to step up and challenge Vizsla and by their rules he gets to. Um, and I just thought that was such an interesting, it, it, 
it to me it really grounds a lot more of where Bo-Katan is coming from when she and Din have that discussion about the sword you know so much later yeah well, I have two small things Go for one it. of them is just a fun thing I will chuckle every time uh, Mandalorians fire the rockets from their backs <laughs> because they had to like do this funny bend over thing to do it. Yep. It's like a deep and, bow. And it's yeah. just yeah, it's hilarious every time. <laughs> uh, the other thing is a, a real life thing. So the writer for these episodes, I looked him up, Chris Collins, because these, as I said, are, is probably my favorite arc. He mm-hmm. also wrote the arc at the beginning of this season uh, on the planet Onderon, where mm. they were dealing with that rebellion. And helping oh, yeah. uh, Saw Gerrera and his rebels, and so th- those these two arcs this season, written by Chris Collins, have just been fantastic in my opinion. And it's unfortunate that these are actually the only episodes he wrote for this mm-hmm. series. But uh, in his other credits, he has worked on um, The Wire, Sons of Anarchy, and The Man in the High Castle, which huh. all are very highly acclaimed shows. So right. I, I'm I want to I'm interested in uh, maybe checking some of those out and keeping an eye on his name. You definitely should. I I am a huge. I, I think Sons of Anarchy is. I mean, it's Hamlet on motorbikes. It's <laughs> much better acted than I ever thought it would be, and it's very fun. But it's also kind of trashy and great, but also some really interesting storytelling. The Wire, I think, is hands down the best television show that's ever been made. Um, I just think it is amazing and so good on so many levels um but with both of them there's an awful and and man in the high castle i think this is also true of there's so much moral complexity and so much moral grayness and like Mm. all these moments of like you're not really sure who's the good guy who's the bad guy and i love that we got some of that here you know in terms of like pre vizsla is obviously bad but not as bad as you know like who is bo katan siding with and there's that one moment when they're in jail when Satine is talking to uh, the, the prime minister. Uh, I keep forgetting oh, how to pronounce his name. Alnick. Alnick. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I was going to say Achik. Uh, Alnick. And you know Alnick's being somewhat self-serving, but he's also kind of right when he's talking about how Satine wanted just this perfect moral clarity of how she ruled Mandalore. And the fact was they needed a black market to some extent to survive. And like he was cutting an awful lot of corners and doing terrible things and getting rich off it himself for sure. But, like, he's kind of like, look, Satine, you let Maul take over. You let Pre Vizsla take over, and he's not wrong. And I just, I, lo- I love that scene because I felt like they were both making valid points, even though they couldn't hear each other. And so I, I love what you pointed out because it makes sense that, like, the guy who wrote some of the best morally gray TV that I've ever seen, of course he wrote some of the most ethically complicated scenes uh, in Clone Wars. Mm. Yeah, and I do, I do wish we got less... I'm poisoning children from from Almec because his idea of like I'm stimulating the economy, yeah, it's through the black market, but like Mandalore is going to starve otherwise, makes sense. And I think we talked about this at the time of those episodes, but yeah, um, he they don't they don't mention the you sold poison to children, which is nice in this, right. and he does acknowledge the people like oh, I know I've made some mistakes in the past, but it was pre Vizsla's wish that I come and help you guys like i forget how he phrases it exactly but he does sort of like acknowledge it was his dying wish his that dying i wish. become prime minister again yeah, yeah which is like okay normally we don't elect officials based on the dying wishes of other folks but sure why not yeah um 
But yeah, I let's mean, chant he... his name. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like if 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 Almec had any force abilities, he would be a Sith. Like he's clearly mm-hmm. very good at politics. He's very good at manipulation. Yeah, well, maybe not necessarily a Sith, but definitely like if he had his druthers, I think he would be working with the separatists and mm-hmm. doing the sort of same political machinations on maybe a slightly less grand scale than Palpatine. Right. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Unless either of you have anything else. Mandalore. Mandalore. No. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> Riki? Man- Mandalore Boreans. Are you going to Kenobi? Even though we got a good Kenobi from Maul, even though he doesn't have Grievous. It's a different Kenobi. <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> no Grievous, no Roger Roger. <laughs> yeah, no Roger Roger was nice. You mentioned very few droids except like some medical droids. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which may be a refreshing palate cleanser from the last arc. I think no Anakin at all, was there? Uh I don't think so. If there there was, the only time he would have been is when they were discussing at the Jedi Temple whether or not um they should go help. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I don't think he had a line. Yeah, I don't think so. He might have just been standing in the background. But, yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I also... Ugh, the the Jedi invoking their the version... The BS Prime Directive. Yeah, I was going to say their version <laughs> of the fi- Prime Directive when it like makes sense for them is kind of annoying. But it also seems very on brand. It's like, oh, well, too bad they're neutral. Otherwise, we could help them. Mm-hmm. It's like you went and helped a Separatist army overthrow their oppressors on the, under the guise of like we're not actually fighting the war we're just hanging out and teaching them some skills right, i'm sure you could have gone yeah military advisors it's fine but anyway yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't get it and here we go off on a tangent right at the end no but again mandalore is still a part of the republic is a member of the republic mm-hmm. they should be able to petition for help against foreign invaders right like yeah well, I so think they're the like point. trying to draw this line that death watch is mandalorian so they're not foreign yeah and i think it, it's it's entirely them like sticking it to mandalore in their very like passive aggressive politically savvy kind of way they're just like oh well they're neutral they won't side with <laughs> us so we can't help them darn it- it's interesting. I, I kind of went into a kind of understanding where the Jedi are coming from, but you have me convinced that the Jedi are basically running a protection racket here. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it's a nice planet. It's a shame what Death Watch is doing to it, but you didn't pay, <laughs> you didn't pay the vig, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I can kind of understand the Jedi's position of, because I think, like, it's not clear to them that, um, you know, what actually is happening and that it, it does seem like it's an internal conflict between two Mandalorian groups. And so is it their job to intervene um yeah. but you're right i think i mean you know it, it's it's definitely something that they apply selectively and i think that they are clearly all very bitter and i think and i think this is kind of the um you know we've talked about how one of the overall themes of this is the fall of the jedi and that part of that's because of their pride and their mm-hmm. arrogance and their hubris and i think there's kind of a like a wounded pride of like what do you mean you don't want to be part of our gang what do you mean you don't want our protection oh now you want a protection well you know f you yeah yeah totally and i mean they are like highly bureaucratic and i think they can they can maybe even fool themselves into thinking that like oh well, we're just tied up in all this bureaucracy and we have to follow the rules do 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 but right. like, they break they they don't necessarily break the rules but they manipulate the rules to their advantage when it suits them i think it's very fair 
All right, well, I think that's a good wrapping up point, so thank you guys so much. Um, as always, fans, what did you think of these episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I love getting emails, love getting uh, Facebook messages, tweets. Continue these conversations with us. That's the whole point of this. We love talking about it. We want to talk to you about it. You can find us at uh, on Facebook or on Twitter at The Ethical Panda. You can also email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Ethical Panda is kind of the overarching podcast group for uh, the podcast I do, both this and Superhero Ethics, as well as some others I sometimes guest on. You can also find all of my podcasts, as well as a bunch of other great ones, on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, which is strandedpanda.com. There you'll find podcasts about the MCU, DC, uh, Star Trek, all sorts of other great stuff. So please check all those out. Uh, if you like these podcasts, the best thing you can do is help other people find them. Uh, if you'd go to iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review for us, hopefully a five-star review, but you know whatever you need to say, please do that. Leave us a review, let people know what you think of the episode, and you know share this with your friends. The way I know most of the podcasts I listen to, it's because someone was like, hey, I know you love this topic, you should check out this podcast. If you know other Star Wars friends, if you know other people you think would like these conversations, share this podcast with them. It's a great way to help grow the network, great way to support us, and a great way to just, you know, add more to the conversation. So, on behalf of myself, Santa Riki, thank you all so much. Have a great day. Kenobi. There it is. That was my that was attempted mall. Kenobi.